0: You're listening to Little Girl Dreams, a podcast by Chelsea Reed. Join me to talk about the disability and the support from family, friends and the rehabilitation team. Today on my podcast, I have a guest. His name is David Coppler, who is involved in the research study that I recently participated in so can you introduce
1: yourself david uh hi um thanks Chelsea. so yeah my name is david copland i'm the um, director of the queensland aphasia research center yeah Um, and i'm a speech pathologist and i work in the areas of aphasia rehabilitation and also um, language neuroscience so trying to understand how the brain Um, processes language and how it recovers after people have had a stroke Um, and yeah I was also involved um, in developing the the lift program so for aphasia therapy and the chat program that's now running at the stars hospital
0: what is lift
1: so lift is um language impairment and functioning therapy and so it's a program that we Um, research for a number of years where it was um, what we call a comprehensive aphasia program so it looked at um, how we can treat the impairment of language how we can look at uh, language function and also doing things like computer-based therapy and group therapy as well
0: yeah right okay so what what is your qualifications at uni
1: So I did a a bachelor's in speech pathology and then I did honours and then I did some uh, clinical work and then I did a PhD where I studied um, language following uh, stroke and in other conditions like Parkinson's disease as well.
0: Oh, okay, right. Hmm. So why did you get into aphasia? Like what brought on aphasia? Like...
1: Yeah, I so I um I suppose I always had an interest in the brain and language, um and I think aphasia is in speech pathology. It's one of the areas where um, it's such a it has such an impact on people's lives, but we know so little about how people recover or what we should be doing. So I think Mm -hmm. it's. For speech pathologists, it's one of the big uh, unsolved mysteries. So we need to, there's a lot of work to do to work out um, what we need to be able to provide people with aphasia to uh, yeah, make,
0: make their lives Yeah, and every person better. is so different.
1: That's right. And so that's one of the things that interested me is... Um, you've met one person with aphasia, you've met one person with aphasia. You can't say, oh, that's what aphasia is. Um, It's so varied. And also then how people um, respond to a therapy, how quickly they recover, um, whether they have other problems. um, It's all so varied that that kind of got my interest as to why that is. So why is everyone so different?
0: Yeah, why, yeah. So um, during episode 3 with Jen, we discussed about aphasia and the types of aphasia. So what ha- what experience have you had with aphasia?
1: So I've um, so during my clinical work, I worked in some um, rehabilitation centers like hospitals yeah. um, and outpatients and inpatients um, with people with a range of um types of aphasia so i think that's also changed recently so there's there used to be this um kind of people would like to classify people with aphasia as having Wernicke's or brokers and yeah so these different uh types of aphasia which was based on some a system where you'd say oh the person has a stroke that affected this part of the brain and they have these type of symptoms. Yeah. Um, But as I was learning more and um, working in the area, um, it became very apparent that putting someone in a box like that doesn't really help. So saying someone has Broca's aphasia, you can still see two people with Broca's aphasia who are very different.
0: Very different, wow, okay. Yeah.
1: And so part of the thing that um, I think, the field of speech pathology and aphasia has moved towards is trying to understand where things have broken down in terms of the language impairment and then what consequ- what effect that has on someone's life. And that helps probably much more than trying to give them a, a label like a certain type of aphasia.
0: Yeah, right, okay. Um So we had a discussion during um, the research study about neuroplasticity. Yes. So can you explain to everyone what is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's a term that in the last 10 years there's been lots and lots of interest in it and there's been books written and people on television and in movies and all sorts of things. Um, But it's a concept that's been around a long time and it's basically that the brain can change so um and it can learn new things
0: right
1: so we've known some of that for a long time so um the fact that you know everyone can learn something new you might want to learn a new language or how to play an instrument or yeah the name of someone you've just met um, but there were some I th- ideas that this was kind of limited, so that adults couldn't learn or couldn't, the brain didn't change as much in adults. Yeah. Or that after people have a stroke, there's a very limited window when the brain can change. So, in the first few months. Yeah, um, wow. So, neuroplasticity is this understanding that the brain can change itself, but it's doing that often in response to either injury, so if someone has a stroke, or the environment or the things that you're doing. And so this is the idea that every time we do a particular skill, it involves connections in the brain and some firing of cells in the brain. Yeah. And then the more that you do that, it strengthens these connections. So that the more that you do a particular task, Um, and it's kind of like using a muscle so that every time you do it, it can strengthen that connection. And then next time you come back to do it, it can be easier.
0: That's so weird, but like, yes.
1: Yeah. And so one of the hard things is, um, we, so how does that actually work? So Mm -hmm. how does the brain learn new things? And so what in the last 10 years to 20 years, we've been really lucky that there's been this explosion in um, neuroimaging, so brain imaging where in the past we might have had, we could just, we know that, oh, someone's learnt something or they've had a stroke and it affected this, but we didn't know how the brain achieved this. But now now we have techniques, so using things like magnetic resonance imaging, so taking a, a picture of the brain, either before and after someone learns a new skill or someone relearns oh. language, um, you can now actually see changes in the structure of the brain, so how it's connected. So you're still growing, you can grow new connections. Yeah. And you can actually, so the function of the brain, we used to have this old idea that there's this one bit of it and it does, I don't know, language, speech. So this is where you, if if you have a a stroke that affects this, it will affect your speech and that's what it does. We now know that the brain is more like a lot of networks. So these kind of connected networks where... For things like speech, um, there's lots of different parts of the brain that are involved, so it's not just one. And then this helps us understand when people learn a new language, how they're using a lot of different networks, yeah, or how they have to relearn language and speech after they've had a stroke or a a brain injury.
0: And like like learning like so I, c- I can't speak I can't read I can't write like it's so much things to think about like speech
1: yes and and so the the other thing we're learning is about the brain that there's there's these different networks or different parts of it that are involved in bits of speech or reading or writing yeah and so that then helps us understand if you have a, a stroke or an injury that affects that part of the brain, then yep. we might expect that you'll have those problems. But it also helps us understand if we can if we can work out how therapy works in the brain. Yeah. Then we can get better at saying, "Oh, you need this type of therapy to help."
0: Yeah. Right. Do you reckon age is a um, one of the factors?
1: Yeah, so there's, um, there's good evidence that, so the ability of the brain to change, it keeps that ability no matter how old you are, but it changes more rapidly and a lot more when you're younger. So sometimes that means people who've had a brain injury when they're younger, um, are more able to fully recover or more quickly recover. Yeah. Whereas if you're older, the brain can still change, but it might take more time or more therapy to make those changes.
0: Yeah, right. Because, like, I know that, like, not like it's facial, but, like, what's the um, collagen? When you get age, age like it's wearing off, it's like the brain... I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, but there's lots of there's lots of changes that occur in our um, with the aging brain. So yeah. um, the way that we learn, the way that we pay attention. Um, interestingly, speech is fairly well preserved. So we, as we get older, we're still usually able to. Um, we have sometimes problems with finding the right words and as you get older, you get more of that. Yeah. Um, but most people, it's um, with the brain, it's things like memory that is a big um, yeah. issue as people get older.
0: Yeah, right. right. And you mentioned that um, exercise helps retrieve word in your brain.
1: So this is um, an area that it's really... It's a new area. Yeah. Um, But what we're trying to understand is so, when you have, when you do um, high intensity exercise, so um, like getting on a bike, going up a hill, going for a quick run, it releases certain chemicals in the brain. That's Um, unbelievable. Yeah. uh, But, but what we're trying to understand is at the same time it can improve or help with some forms of learning. Um, And so we're trying to understand if you go for a run um, or you get on a bike, there's probably a period straight after that where the brain is um, kind of more active and some of these chemicals may be helping with um, how you learn new information. We're, we're still trying to... So we've looked at that in um, healthy older adults. Yeah. And for those people who um, are less able to um, learn in the first place, it can help them. So if you get them to learn new information straight after they exercise yeah, compared to another group... Who just do stretching, yeah, or, or something like that, it can help them to learn those. Um, so we did learning new words, and then yeah. we got them to come back and and tell us what words they'd learned. So we're it's still very early, and we also know that the fitter you are, the better better that is for brain health. And so that yeah. can it's this connection between when you exercise, it has this. Um, impact on the brain so we're really keen to think then about therapy and for people who've had a stroke and this is an area that hasn't been researched are there ways that we could help with things like aphasia therapy if someone exercises beforehand is that helpful
0: yeah because when I was at the hospital I had physio straight up for an hour and then straight away i had to go to speech therapy yes and sometimes i was so buggered i can't even like read or write like i'm buggered like i've got to go to
1: bed yes and so this is the hard thing with exercise and kind of physical activity um if you if it's too much and you're then exhausted then that probably won't help with learning and yeah, uh, aphasia it's therapy. <laughs> yeah, so there's like a it's not too much, not too little. Like there's a sweet spot where it might help. But yeah, if you're feeling exhausted um, after a lot of work, then yeah, you might not be in the right um, the right way of yeah responding to aphasia therapy.
0: Yeah, and. um so do you study like that um subject like do you have people coming in and you know like i'm exercising and then yeah
1: yeah so we've been running a trial so uh, a study where we got um people who are uh, older adults so over 55 or something yeah. um then they came in and we then put some of them in a group where they got on a we tested all their fitness first and their language um took some of their blood to see what was going on okay. before and after the exercise and then um one third of them did this kind of high-intensity exercise on a bike. Another group did moderate exercise. So, you know, where you're kind of exercising but you're not out of breath, it's yeah. moderate. Um, and then another group did the stretching. So, oh, okay. And they did that all for around the same amount of time. And then straight after that we then got them to do this um language learning study where they get a bunch of new words they hadn't heard before and then we see how well how well they learn them Wow! Um, yeah so it's it's a new area so thinking about exercise and how it interacts with the brain and then how we might use that to help with things like aphasia therapy where for that one where first looking in healthy older adults um to see if it gives us clues about what we should be doing after a stroke
0: yeah it's it's just like i don't know it's just like my brain now is just like what um well thank you so much for being here um have you got any resources that people can um access like to find out about stroke or aphasia
1: yeah so um i would recommend um so there's the australian aphasia association so yeah. i could you you'd be aware of that but i can send the link as well um and we've also for the queensland aphasia research center if anyone's interested, they can contact us and then we can provide them with more information and I can give you a link for that as well. Um, but yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It's great to talk about this because um, it's really, I think it's really exciting work and we're, I think we're learning more and more and that should help us get better treatments for um, after people have a stroke.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, thank you, and I'll see you later.
1: (laughs) Great. Thanks very much, Chelsea. Bye.